Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 29th. Well, when you watch enough tennis, folks, you know it when you see it. And let me just say, as someone who has watched an absorbent amount of tennis throughout my lifetime, I think we saw two players make a breakthrough today that will be notable as we go through the rest of their careers. And of course, there were so many other great matches on day three for us to discuss. But the place we are going to start, Andre Rublev, Stefano Tsitsipas, coming back from two sets to love down. We don't even need any chaser. We're going to get right into our match breakdowns. And joining me to do just that today on the show, as he does throughout these two weeks of Grand Slam action, you, of course, know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history, a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, am I being hyperbolic here? I truly thought this was a breakthrough moment for these two young stars. Very well could be. Um, if nothing else, symbolic, right, of these guys understanding where they're at in their career. Um, and look, they had some great results in Hamburg. Now they're back here and they're backing things up. I, I think there was the potential for both of these to be catastrophic, um, but they, you know, went out there, they go and they write the ship like future champions do. Um, and so, no, I, I don't think you're overplaying this moment. Yeah, and again, we are going to do what we always do on these mini-break podcasts. We are going to talk about the matches uh, that impressed us the most, we thought were the most significant. We'll break them down with stats. We'll go through the biggest upsets on the day, run through the rest of the day's results, and of course, preview all of Wednesday's action. But the place we have to start with our match breakdowns are two Hamburg finalists, Andre Rublev and Stefano Tsitsipas. And just a reminder for all of you listeners of what these two young stars went through just to play their matches today. It was a Monday or a Sunday final, excuse me, in Hamburg. And that's different than usual. Of course, we knew there were going to be compromises, be sacrifices for us to get any tennis back during this 2020 season. But because of the condensed schedule, because the French Open starts on a Sunday, what Stefano Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev had to do, they play a three-set battle Sunday night in Hamburg. From there, they immediately travel to Paris, where they have to quarantine for 24 hours in their hotel while they wait for their COVID-19 test results to get back to them. Uh, During that time, were they able to get a practice session in? Maybe. I don't know. But pretty much from there, they go out and they had to play their matches today. And as we pointed out in the buildup to their two matches today, two tricky opponents for Andre Rublev. He was taking on big serving Sam Querrey, who of course has made semifinals of majors before. Is just such a tough out regardless of the surface. For Stefano Tsitsipas, he was playing Halmi Munar, who if you are on short rest if you've been uncomfortable the past 24 hours one of the last people you might want to play on the dirt is a guy who makes as many balls as Halmi Munar so those are the two matches we're going to start with let's kick things off by talking about Andre Rublev who in just incredible fashion today Jamie comes back from two sets to love down to beat Sam Query seven uh six seven six seven seven five six four six three Rublev was down five one in both sets one and two uh or five 5-2, excuse me, in both sets 1 and 3, 5-1 down in set number 2, yet comes back to win this match. You could see the emotion on his face once he secured match point. He drops to his knees. This was incredible, Jamie, and I have a lot of thoughts on this match, but I just want to let you give you the floor first. Your thoughts on Andre Rublev being able to pull this one out. Yeah, I mean, look, a really strong mental performance. And the Rublev of a couple years ago isn't coming back in this match. Um, You know, clawing his way back the way he did to get that 7-5 in set number three and carry the momentum on. A 2017 or 18 Andre Rublev, you know, not only has he not reached the potential just tennis-wise as what he is now, he's also just mentally out of it. He's going to be screaming at himself, and he's probably tanking the rest of this match. Uh, But the new and improved Andre Rublev, and, and should I say improving Andre Rublev, finds a way to win this match, and that's really the most important part to me. So I, I have no doubt you and I will talk about the tennis and the, and the you know really important moments that define this match, but for me, just a lot of mental strength from Andre Rublev, and, and that's what I'm taking away as the most impressive. 
That's the most incredible part of this performance for Andre Rublev, who, you know, a former world junior number one, his talent has always screamed out anytime you watch him play tennis. That forehand is elite. And it's not just the eye test, it passes the ear test, it passes the, you know, just the results he's had test. Everything you want from Andre Rublev, uh, he has put forward thus far in his young career. And Matt and I, Stachowiak, talked about Andre Rublev, Stefano Tsitsipas, that final, uh, when we recapped Sunday's action on the mini break and talked about Andre Rublev, who clearly is in the midst of a breakout performance here in 2020. And, you know, not many people across the globe are going to remember 2020 fondly, but Andre Rublev is going to be one of those people. You look at what he's accomplished this year. I mean, the guy has won three ATP events. He's, what, I think 25 and six overall heading into this. So now 26 and six on the season. Uh, In his past 18 months, he's won four total titles, reached, you know, a Grand Slam quarterfinal, finds himself on the precipice of the top 10. You know, I said this at the top, you can tell when a player is making their breakthrough, when they put together six consecutive weeks of results, when they're winning multiple ATP 250 events and just coasting through them and starting to appear in second weeks of Grand Slams like it's nothing. And, you know, the biggest challenge of them all, staring down the barrel of a two-sets-to-love deficit in a Grand Slam match. And Andre Rublev had that today, and then he found himself 5-2 down. And, you know, it would have been very easy for him to just write this match off and say, you know what, it's a Hamburg hangover. I won the title the week before. Whether that was a smart scheduling decision or not, I can just re-examine that later. But Sam Query, too good today. But if you watch this match, you could just see it on Andre Rublev's face. Under no circumstance was he going to be giving up on this one. You know, he, Andre Rublev grinder is not the pivot anyone expected, but that's what he had to do in this match. And, you know, there was a 5-4 down query serving for that second set. And there's this drop shot uh, query hits at love 15. And two years ago, there's just no way in the world Andre Rublev tracks that ball down. He tracks it down, does something with it, a tough enough ball that Sam Query has to hit a high backhand volley. Sam just kind of floats it up. Rublev's able to put the next volley away. Love 30 lead. He gets the break there, and you could just tell his body language, Sam Query's body language, the match flipped in that moment. It's the little things for Andre Rublev that he keeps getting better and better at, and I'll continue to say it. I am so confident that he is going to be a player who's just going to find the best version of himself, who is going to dedicate his entire career uh, to become the best tennis player he can be. And this performance, uh, certainly from a, a mentality standpoint, uh, epitomizes that. Yeah, really strong stuff from from Rublev. And look, you look at any of the things across the stat sheet and, you know, you find a way to be impressed with Rublev. Sure, there's always ways to be better, but ultimately 64 winners to 20 unforced errors. Getting 20 unforced errors in a five-set match like this, you know, when you're just completely, your back is completely against the wall, exceptional. Sure, he hit a lot of aces, but even if you take all of those out of the winner count, he's still well ahead. So really clean stuff from the Russian there. I do want to flip to the Sam Query side. A little bit interesting here, you know, obviously he bows out in, you know, pretty horrible fashion at the U.S. Open. Um, so really, this match was closer than I expected it. But man, I mean, what do we know about Sam Curry? You mentioned it right at the top. This guy, when he gets in big time matches at majors, you know, never count him out um, because a guy with weapons like him, you know, he can do anything. There were some points in this match where he was just serving unconscious. Um, yeah. Sure, it, it came in streaks, right? There were times where he wasn't getting a lot of first serves in, but then sometimes he would rattle off three aces in a game, right? And so that sort of play he was just keeping pressure on Andre Rublev a little bit disappointing for Sam Query because realistically he could have served this thing out and been done in straight sets um, now yeah mm-hmm. obviously we give the credit to, for, to Andre Rublev for scrapping um, and playing the tennis that we've come to know from the Russian but Sam Query big missed opportunity for this one yeah, you know, you talked about Andre Rublev's unforced error count being only at 20. A lot of that had to do with the fact that Sam Query hit 80 winners in this match, and you want to take away the 29 aces he hit, fine. He hit 51 winners in hit this match. Let's assume Rublev would have made another, you know, 20 unforced errors if 51 of those winners he just gets his racket on, I mean, or something like that. It's just, you know, Sam Query through the first 
three sets of this match, did everything he wanted to do. Just executed so well. Got off to early leads on Rublev. Got Rublev frustrated. Played big with his serve, which he was 79 of 105. 75% on first serve points. He made 60% of his serves. You know, 29 aces against 11 double faults. 80 winners against 62 unforced errors. He played to win. He played on his terms. But again, this is where I get back to Andre Rublev's credit. The guy was a grinder today. I mean, Sam Query, to your point, he's one of those guys, it doesn't matter the conditions. It doesn't matter how mucky it is outside. He's going to be able to hit through any court across the world, no matter where it is, no matter the day. Uh, But Andre Rublev was able to grind today, and it was the discipline with his backhand, whether he take it cross court or then take it down the line just to get Query stretched. I mean, it, it was just a really impressive performance. And I said this from the top. Andre Rulev's not a guy I worry about having any energy left in the tank. Yes, this was a five-set match. Yes, it comes after a tough week in Hamburg. But the fact that he gets a day off tomorrow and then he'll be back, I am not concerned about his fitness moving forward. I just think... His his confidence now moving forward in a section of the draw where Medvedev's already knocked out, he's the guy to beat. Yeah, look, the confidence gained from this vastly outweighs any potential fitness concern. Obviously, he's going to be tired from that run he just had and a match like this that's pushing him. But again, I think that's much less important than, once again, the confidence um, and, and attitude he's going to have carrying from this. So, look, he's in a really good spot. You already mentioned this section of the draw opening up for him. I, I got to expect a deep run from Andre Rublev if he plays anywhere near this cleanly in the next week or two. Yeah, here's the number that jumps out to me, my last one. On the five-plus shot rallies, Andre Rublev won 37 points, Sam Query won 38. In a five-set match with such small margins, that's the difference. The longer the point went, and it was, again, few and far between, but on those few occasions when the points did go that long, it was Andre Rublev coming out on top, and in a match, again, where it's this close, that's the difference. So I was so impressed by him. And again, you know, you look at where he is at right now, came into this week with a new career high of number 12 in the rankings after that title in Hamburg. is I mean, second week now, I guess, except for Wimbledon, where we really are not sure how he's going to equate himself on the grass quite yet, but second week of slams now is the expectation for Andre Rublev. Yeah, I think so. He, he's earned himself a spot in that crop, and so, yeah, with... With that becomes a reputation and an expectation, right? Um, and so I think that's sort of the next era of the Andre Rublev is, you know, not just making a quarterfinal run and having that be a streaky coincidence or not even coincidence, but just result, right? It's this is where we expect you to be routinely now. And sure, there's going to be surfaces that you're more comfortable on. Sure, there's going to be times where you make a really deep run and you're just feeling it with, with a game as big as his. Sometimes he's just going to be on hot streaks and sometimes it's going to be less so. But now it's about consistency for Andre Rublev. He's proved he can play at the top. Now he's got to stay up there. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing that transpire again. How he bounces back in his second round will be very telling. And I am convinced Andrew Rublev, not a guy who is going to, you know, struggle physically, but we'll see. I mean, these conditions are tough on anyone. But again, so impressive for him. Bounces back from two sets to love, now finds himself in the second round. Another guy who found himself in a very similar deficit, Stefano Tsitsipas, who, you know, he loses that match in Hamburg, then has to go through all the same travel shenanigans that Rublev did, and at least for Rublev, you're like, yeah, but I won the trophy, so I'm feeling pretty good no matter what. For Pass to get dealt that Munar match in the first round, we talked about it in our draw preview. That was a tough one because Munar, a guy who we've seen have success on the clay before, I believe he knocked out Zverev last year, and a guy whose game just so well suited for the dirt. He's going to ask every question of you, and in those first two sets, that's exactly what he did, and he was having success. He takes him 6-4, 6-2, but you could just see in Stefano Pass's face the moment he got that first break to kick off that third set, he was ready to rock and roll. And credit to Stefano Tsitsipas for staying the course in this match. 4-6-2-6-6-1-6-4-6-4. Jamie, what, again, impressed me the most on a clay court to continue to attack a guy like Munar who just makes every extra ball. It shows me that anyone who thinks Tsitsipas is questioning himself, is having a, you know, a crisis of confidence following that U.S. Open loss, you have not been watching the results because Stefano Tsitsipas in this one, he bounced back and he bounced back with a vengeance. Yeah, look, he kept swinging. He kept playing his game. I mean, I think he kept pushing the envelope on Munar. You know, he goes to the net 75 times in this match. So if that tells you nothing else, right, he's clearly trying to push things and keep pressure on the Spaniard. 
Uh, look, there are a lot of things I can take away from this match. Sure, just like we talked about with Rublev, I think it's really cool to see him have a sort of two-set-to-love deficit and come back, bounce back from that. I mean, again, I think that's going to instill confidence throughout the rest of the tournament. For me, though, the weird one for Stefano Tsitsipas, and it, it, look, if he serves better, he wins this match a lot easier, right? The guy, for for a guy with as many serving weapons and the abilities he have with his serve, six aces and winning 42% of his second serve points, that's just not good. You know, he's equaling double faults to aces and not getting enough points on the second serve. I, I don't know. It's just that was sort of the weakness for me in this match. And granted, all of that is overshadowed by the mental stuff here, right? He, he gets out of a complete jam, wins that third set 6-1 to really set the tone and say, hey, I'm here to win sets four and five. Um, you know, it's really important that he wins that third so decisively. But for me, I think his takeaway is, okay, how do I address this serve so that next match I don't dig myself such a deep hole that I have to come out and win sets three, four, and five to get it done? Yeah, well, as you know, Jamie, I pride myself as one of the founding members of Down the Line Backhand LLC, and we're ready to offer uh, Haomi Munar an associate position because he will serve under, you know, next-gen head Alex Zverev, and obviously we are currently managed by Novak Djokovic, but Munar was exceptional. I mean, the way he changes directions, the way he moves around the court, it literally, the guy must have been born, his parents gave him a pair of shoes, and they said, hey, you're just going to run on clay all the time because we want you to get really good at it, and the amount of time he would just throw in, you know, just a, a hacked forehand slice on the stretch that would just, you know, oh so gently land before the baseline and then just die on those clay courts. I know, you know, from one Halmy to another, you must have been loving that, Jamie. But uh, yeah, to Tsitsipas' credit, you know, 54 winners against 49 unforced errors. And you want to take away the six aces, fine, but you take away the six double faults as well. He's still plus five in this match. And, you know, the unforced errors started to pile up in sets one and two. You talk about it. He committed uh, 49 unforced errors in set number one. He committed 12 of those 49 in set number two. He committed 11. So again, 23 of those 49 unforced errors coming in the first two sets. And then he, you know, he buckled down. He really just a little bit more margin playing to a little bit bigger targets, waiting maybe two extra shots. Let that Munar forehand slice drop down, attack that one, but don't move in behind that first ball, move in behind the second ball. It was just, it was really good patience from Tsitsipas, who again, controlled the controllables. In this match, a match that goes five sets, he made 72% of his first serves. He won 73% of those points, and yeah, he wasn't that great on the second serve, but he did what he had to do. He minimized his second serve points. He played plus one tennis. It was, I was impressed by Tsitsipas. Yeah, this was a good performance, Um, you know, especially if you just sort of scratch those first two sets, he can say, hey, listen, I went out there and I won some really convincing sets with some, you know, less than phenomenal tennis, right? He did what he needed to to get this thing done. And I think you mentioned it, right? He's got confidence from the fact that he didn't waver in his game plan here, right? He buckled down and he did exactly what he needed to do in sets three, four and five. So for me, you know, this is sort of this is a really tough test to start off a French Open, you know, then you start adding all the other context, like how the courts are playing. The fact that he's coming off that deep run in Hamburg right before this, this is really impressive to me. And this makes, you know, makes him pass that test of, okay, now he's a real contender Um, because the level of tennis that we saw in the back half of this match, he can compete with the best of them out there. Yeah, no, what I love for him in those, you know, five-plus shot rallies, Tsitsipas plus 11 overall, and that just shows me the patience. And again, that you look at the numbers uh, for him at the net, they weren't the prettiest numbers in terms of his conversion rate, 43 of 75, but I wonder how many missed Munar passing shots that counts, or if that counts all of the missed Munar passing shots, if those aren't just unforced errors for Munar because of his 21. You know, he probably had 10 clean looks at passes that he just missed. And, you know, some of that is a credit, again, to Tsitsipas for the pressure he was putting Munar on. And now for Tsitsipas, again... He advances to the second round, not playing his best tennis, and we've talked about this probably every mini break and every preview episode for every Grand Slam we've done, but over the course of two weeks, if you're going to make a run, you got to win a match where you're not playing well. That was the case for Tsitsipas today. Did not play well at all through the first two sets, rebounds to take sets three, four, and five, and now he finds himself in the second round. And I have just two quick tangents for you, Jamie. Let's do the fun one first, the annoying one second. 
second. If I were to say to you, and Rafael Nadal excluded from this list, but if I were to say to you the five best players on the men, in the men's game in 2020 in this order go Novak Djokovic 1, Dominic Team 2, Zverev 3, Rublev 4, Tsitsipas 5, would you call me crazy? Oh, you just had to throw Zverev in where you did, didn't you? <laughs> Surprised you didn't put him at one, you. Um, no, I mean, that's fine. Listen, you can you, you can argue what you want. Um, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to make a stand here. We have a lot more tennis to get into. I can't I can't uh, fight my ultimate battle here. Just a quick stand. Who, which uh, Are those the five guys, even if not in the correct order? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, there are certainly guys that we've talked about a lot. Um, and so I think all of them deserve to be in that sort of category of being talked about. Uh, yeah, we can, we can set the order aside because, of course, we'll disagree on that at some points. Yeah, I, I think so. Those are the right guys. There's some other guys that are maybe a little bit deeper who you would want to mention, um, like a Shapovalov. But in terms of just best 2020, yeah, I, that's fair. I'll give you to yeah. it. And again, that excludes Rafa, who didn't play in New York, and so there's an asterisk next to him. He obviously would belong in that conversation. But the reason I bring that up, the generational shift is happening. The next gen are here, folks, and i just like to remind everyone when that does happen now. One thing I am constantly reminded of during Grand Slams that is immensely frustrating, a conversation that happens anytime there's a five-set match or anytime there's a lob-setted three-set match or anytime there's anything because people like to get oh so mad at this cause just to stamp their flag in the ground. Can we put a pause on the best of five conversations and, oh, anyone who suggests best of five should be reexamined needs to be put on the cross. Your tennis takes are forever sacrificed. And it's just like, or, you know, oh, because first of all, A, again, I apologize, Jamie, you're going to get the brunt of this rant, even though it's not directed at you. Uh, A lot of this anger is directed at one person. He knows who he is. Obviously, we'll call him Ren Bothenberg for the sake of this conversation, who, you know, likes to, uh, let's say, you know, put his stick in the fire, likes to stoke the flame a little bit every so often. But it's like now every time there's a good five-set match, every person who has an opinion has to tweet at Ben and say, see, this is why best of five has to exist. And it's just like... Well, that's kind of stupid because I can point you to Steve Johnson, Roberto, Roberto Carbeas Bania today. That was six one six one six love. That, honest to God, we could have ended after the first set because if you saw that, we could have just stopped things there and been like, okay, it's not happening for Stevie today. Um, and I just like a conversations are good. Like it, it, we should always be talking about ways we can better the game. And until we see the TV ratings, it's hard to tangibly say, well, best of five is better or best of three is better because people stick around for only X amount of hours. And it's really hard to find numbers that give you the specifics for how long people are watching tennis matches. But also B, it's like, how about we just enjoy the tennis? And rather than trying to make some grandiose point about the quality of one match and what that says about the format in general, we just enjoy the one match for what it is. And we don't use it as like a building block for some sort of argument in our takedown of a journalist we don't like to me this sounds like you're defending your boy ren bothan whoever <laughs> whoever that may be i, I it's, a, it's a bit cryptic i'm not sure um but no, it's not I mean, even look, a defense it just gets me angry but yeah sorry. I, I understand uh it feels like a defense but no i mean listen i'm always going to be a proponent oh i shouldn't say always because who knows what will happen but right now i'm proponent of the five setters because they give us such classic matches like this but no i understand your point it is a little ridiculous you don't want to take out a single match and be like see this is why right i mean it's it's about the system of all of these matches and how they're played not just one individual match and look it is what it is people are entrenched in their sides and that's fine um but yeah again we don't need to spend too much time on it because we already have and i'm sure we will in the future yeah exactly that sort of snark like if you wanted to text me and say see this is a great match like that i would expect because we are at a level where we respect one another and when we're snarky with one another it comes from a place of love but like on twitter that's not the case so what are we doing folks let's just enjoy the tennis and not get lost in the michigas elsewhere but you're right that is a topic that is certainly going to persist for quite a bit of time until there ever or if there ever uh is a change but one thing that is also you know kept on going it wasn't just these two matches. We were treated to so many outstanding battles uh, throughout day three of this French Open. Let's now flip to the women's side. One more breakdown for all of you listeners. A match that we circled as one that could get interesting and, you know, not because the name Tossin jumps out to most of you uh, casual listeners. Of course, we wouldn't expect you to follow the intimacy of the junior ranks the the way we do here, but Clara Tossin, obviously a junior Grand Slam champion, someone who looks so good on 
her way through qualifying, taking on number 21 seeded Jennifer Brady. A Jennifer Brady who had not played any clay matches and had not played really at all since her outstanding run through New York and the U.S. Open. And of course, we all remember her winning that title in Lexington, uh, of course, riding that out all the way to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. But, you know, these conditions were tricky, and we've seen it throughout this first round. Those players who got a few more reps in qualifying, who came in match tough on the dirt, uh, they were certainly uh, had a little bit of an advantage, and in the end, that's all Clara Tawson needed to get over the finish line 6-4-3-6-9-7 over Jennifer Brady. Definitely an upset on paper, Jamie, but you watched the level of this one. This was some high-quality tennis. Yeah, this was a great match and a, a bit of a heart wrencher um, if you're if you're cheering for the American in this one because this really was her match to win um, and she had the chances. Look, Tossin has a great first set, takes it six four. Um, Jen Brady bounces back, gets that second set, and and really to me, regardless of the fact that she loses the first set, regardless of the fact that these conditions are not anywhere ideal for her game style. It still feel, still feels like she's going to win this match. She gets into that third set. She gets a break to go up 4-2, um, and I'm feeling like, okay, we're good. It's going to be a tight three-setter. She's going to get through it. Solid stuff. Um, but that's just not what happens, right? The, the script immediately gets flipped on its head. Tossin breaks back, um, and then it's just an absolute battle all the way to the finish. So uh, unfortunate for Jen Brady in this one because you look down the stat sheet and you look at a lot of the numbers, and you're like, wow, Jen Brady really could have won this match all the way down to the fact that she won six more um, points than Tossin did in this match. Unfortunate for Jen Brady, but, you know, what a grind from Tossin to get through it and win. Yeah, she also had two match points in this one. So literally, she was a point away from getting over the finish line. I think it was 1540 in one of those Tossin bonus time service games. And look, you know, from the Clara Tossin perspective, she was the 2019 Junior Australian Open champion. Uh, for those of you listeners who aren't aware, the player she beat in that junior final, Layla Fernandez, who we've obviously seen have a ton of success thus far. And for the 17-year-old Tossin, you look at what she's accomplished this season already. You look at just the race this year, which again, Again, is the accumulation of points you've had uh, during the season. Clara Tossin is a top 100 player at age 17. She's number 106. And of course, at 17 years old, she still has age restrictions on her. And, you know, for someone who at 17 years old, you wouldn't expect her to have already made 10 professional finals, but that's exactly what she's done. And you look at the course of the past two years, 2019, 2020, she's made eight finals in the past two years. And so it's always going, you know, so many times talented young names out there. It's very easy to get lost in the Osaka, the Kenan, the Andrescu, the Ostapenko's Grand Slam champions of the world and be like, okay, these are our next young studs. No, there are so many young studs in the pipeline and Clara Tossin's one of them. And what I loved for her in this match, the way she just absorbed the topspin of the Jennifer Brady forehand and almost bunted down on it the entire time was just playing flat, you know, flat down the line tennis, changing direction on Brady. And in this match for Tossin, in 48 winners against 46 unforced errors. When you're playing someone who hits as heavy of a ball as Jennifer Brady to keep swinging that freely, I mean, how could you not love that from the 17-year-old? Yeah, really promising stuff. Really promising stuff. I, the, the weird one here is just how many non-free points there were, right? There were only two mm-hmm. total aces in the match, um, both of them coming off the racket of Jen Brady. So, you know, it wasn't a match where things were really getting cooking off the serve, right? I mean, we were getting into these points, um, and there were so many phenomenal ones, right? It's hard to point out ones in particular. Obviously, once we get to the true business end of this match, uh, every point, uh, you know, you're on the edge of your seat watching this thing because it has just just incredible ramifications for the rest of the match. But no, I mean, Tossin really proud promising stuff here and add another great um, add another great one to the list that's all we can say with the talent on the WTA side at this point yeah, what you love most about her in the biggest moments, even though she's not hitting 120 bombs, she's making 72% of your first serves. And so often, if you can just get a point started with the first serve, if you're not offering up a wounded duck to the Jennifer Brady forehand for her to just slap away on, and then she's got control of the point, uh, you're going to give yourself a chance at the very least to succeed. And that's what you got to love most about Tossin. She kept giving herself chances. Now, again, Brady was <clears throat> a point away from the finish line on two separate occasions, and you know 
she's going to be kicking herself after this one. But credit to Clara Tossin, who, as you mentioned, you just throw on the list now uh, of the talented young players in the WTA game. But that was not the only upset of the day, Jamie. We saw two other seeds go down. Uh, Allie Risk, the 19-year-old, uh, 19-year-old, excuse me, the 19th-seeded American, a 6-3-6-7-6-1 lost from her to Julia Gerges. Now, it's worth mentioning Gerges was up 6-3, I think 5-1 in that second set. Risk able to come back, take the second, send it to a third, but that was a match we had circled on upset alert. We also certainly, just given her recent form, had Donna Vekic, the number 2016 on, uh, 26 seed on upset alert. She lost a straight set affair to Barra, and now that we're finished with the first round, Jamie, just again, a quick recap of the seeds we've lost. Brady, Vekic, and Risk today on top of Kanta, Keys, Von Druseva, Kanteve, Kerber, Mukova, Yastremska, Kuznetsova, Lynette. So overall, 12 through the first round. You shocked by that number, Jamie, or does that feel about right? Look, nothing shocks me on the WTA side of a draw anymore. <laughs> so you could double the number, slice it in half, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, only one top 10 seed is out, and yeah. you know, and the top 12 seed, Madison Keys and Conta, the two that lost, both very understandable losses, and so I completely agree with you. I think that's about what we expected to see. Now, I will say this, Julia Gerges, absolutely dangerous, and so for Ali Risk, I don't think that's a bad loss by any definition of the word. For Donna Vekic... I mean, it's two slams in a row now where there's just, there hasn't been any rhythm to her play. Just, she seems a little bit lost out there. And I think she's an immensely talented player, but this one was concerning just because she was trying, you know, five, six, seven different things. And just none of them seemed to be working today for any extended period of time. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be in a great place right now, especially going out so routinely, right? You know, you would at least expect more of a fight in this one. But, um, you know, obviously with her talent and what we've seen from her in the past, you expect her to bounce back. And I have no lack of confidence that she will, but just unfortunate to see in recent events nonetheless. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. Well, then, with that in mind, let's switch now to the men's side. And there was only one upset on the day, but let's be honest. Was it an upset uh, that Diego Montiero knocked out uh, number 31-seeded Nicolas Basilishvili, 7-5-6-4-6-2? Was it, Jamie? No. I, we both <laughs> talked about this. No. But uh, when will we stop saying Basilishvili is probably going to get upset in air quotes in the first round? Um, you know, it's unfortunate for the guy. It's almost better if he wouldn't be seated. Uh, but yeah. realistically... Yeah, no, this isn't an upset at all. Um, yeah, and so it, yeah. it sucks for him because the connotation of upset is seated player losing. It's like it's not yeah. his fault he's seated. Right. Yeah, it's like, hey, you're the 31 seed and you're, quote, upset. But yeah, there are a lot of people saying you weren't going to win this match. So um, yeah. again, I will say unfortunate that he doesn't at least grab a set in this one. Um, Ontario, we, we obviously know what he can do on the clay. But yeah, Basilishvili probably had a chance in this section of the draw if he's able to get through this one. Unfortunate, again, he didn't make it more of a fight, but it is what it is. And again, he's the 31 seed, so it's not a huge upset or shock to anybody. Yeah, no, and it seems worth mentioning, you know, Diego Montiero, former uh, top-ranked junior from Brazil, now 26 years old. With this win, he's back up to number 81 in the world, which is, I believe, seven uh, spots off of his career high. And, you know, for Diego Montiero, who before this match, I believe last week he played the challenger, I want to say, uh, before this event played the challenger in Italy and was able to make, I believe, the semifinals, if not the finals of that event. It just shows playing matches at the challenger level, uh, again, the level, the parity between player ranked, you know, number 30 and player ranked number 200 in the world right now, those margins so thin. And so it, that's why none of us are surprised. We're we're ragging on Basilishvili here, but all of the credit in the world to Diego Montiero. And the reason it's not an upset is because we knew Montiero was playing well. We knew if he played the level he played at last week, he should beat Nicolas Basilishvili right now. That's exactly what he did. And, you know, too often we don't give enough credit to the player that pulled off the quote unquote upset. Uh, the fact that this one isn't even that is a credit to Montiero. But same question to you quickly. Basilishvili out. He joins Medvedev, Monfils, Gofen, Fonini, FAA, Chorich, Demonauer, Kranovich, Herkots, and Evans. Any of those shock you? Does that number feel about right? I mean, the same answers we discussed before. Um, seeing Daniil Medvedev on that list, still a bit jarring. Um, you know, the way the FAA went out, also a bit surprising. In a similar camp with Alex Demonauer and Chorich. Um, so for me, especially on the men's side, it's really the fashion in which a lot of these guys went out. Um, but particularly for Daniil Medvedev, that one is still absolutely the standout. And Basilishvili, again, joins the list. But 
it's a different category. Let's say that. Yeah, for me, the only head-scratcher is Chorich. That loss to Gombos in yeah. four sets, I didn't see that one coming. The rest of them, you know, Chechenato, Dimnauer should have won those first two sets. He didn't, whatever. The rest, they, they really did make sense to me. Uh, you know, Fucevic is tough, and we talked about that yesterday. But, you know, that just wanted to set the scene for all of you listeners of where we are heading into the second round. Again, 12 seeds down on the women's side. I believe we are now at 12, or 11 seeds down, excuse me, on the men's side. Uh but with that in mind, let's get into the rest of our results on the day. And let's start with the women because there were a ton of fun three-set battles. Jamie, Pliskova, Kenin, Jabour, all seeds extended to three sets. I saw this tweet. Uh, I, I don't. I think it was from Quinton Moyet, so I want to give him credit. He said, Pliskova shot the sheriff today. That's exactly what she did. 6-7, 6-2, in her victory. For me, she only wins that match today because it was indoors. And that's a little concerning. I know Sheriff. Sharif, I apologize if I butchered that pronunciation, was playing really well, but it was a concerning performance a little bit for Pliskova. Yeah, and look, this is exactly what I expected. Um, I have no confidence in Pliskova's game, especially in conditions like this. I know you and I disagreed a bit on this, so a result like this made me feel a little bit better, not because I'm actively rooting against Pliskova, just because it kind of corroborates what I'm thinking. Um, And so now, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better about my pick of Ostapenko upsetting her in the second round, because if she plays at this level, she's not going to get through the second round. Yeah, I, I really agree with that Ostapenko point, and she looked great today against Sprangle. She was literally taking returns at the service line, which was exactly how we thought that matchup was going to end up going. But, you know, I think it's unfair to say to Pliskova, well, on the day she wasn't playing her best tennis, she managed to get through, and how often do we see her not do that? And she deserves credit for that, and again, credit to Sharif, who uh, played really, really well in this match. But yeah, definitely concerning, especially just how difficult it is to hit through these courts, how clear is that so many of these players are going to have to turn to plan B, plan C when the conditions get particularly brutal out there. And that's always the question for Pliskova is what do B, C, D look like on the day she's not clicking? Uh, today, she was able to do just enough to get through it in three. Again, for Kennan, I think that's actually a really good three-set win over Samsonova. Tricky opponent, Kennan, found her range throughout the match. And I do like how many of these top seeds are getting tested early on because, you know, for some of them, obviously, maybe that's a foreshadow that they're not playing their best tennis, but I think for most of them, it's them problem-solving and getting accustomed to the environment. So again, all three of those three-set battles are really enjoyable. Other three-setters on the day, Collins, Bedosev, and Utvinik, all winners. At one point, Nicolescu tried an underhand serve against Collins. She hit a forehand return winner, I think, and let out a scream unlike anything else, as Danielle Collins is just capable of doing. But overall, again, really fun day of women's results. You look at some of the other seeds who advance, Sabalenka, Martic, Rabakina, Stevens, all straight set wins, Fiona Farrow, Ostapenko, Bogdan, Hibino, Kasatkina, Kudermatova, and Sigamund, all the other winners on the day. Jamie, your thoughts on just the general women's results we saw on day three? I think we got to give a few seconds to that Sigmund Mladenovic match. Um, <laughs> there was there was some drama uh, that brewed in that one. Obviously, we see Mladenovic blow another lead, um, which is unfortunate in that first set. But do you want to get into the double bounce controversy, or should I take it? Well, yeah, I was going to say, will you set the scene for all of our listeners, please? Yeah. So look, we're going. We're <laughs> we're in the middle of this match. Mladenovic is up five um, one. Has a set point, I believe, while Sigmund is serving. Right, so she would break um, to win that first set. And Mladenovic hits a short shot. Siegemann does not get there. It absolutely double bounces. Um, but the chair ump does not see it that way. Siegemann does not call it on herself. Mladenovic loses that point, thus does not get the set. Um, and then has six games straight rattled off on her and loses the first set 7-5. Um, just in an absolute train wreck of a result in that first set from Mladenovic. And then loses the, the second set 6-3. Unfortunate, but holy crap, what happened? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I read uh, someone on Twitter, which is clearly where I'm spending too much of my time. But <laughs> There's a lot uh, of on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. It's I have my two matches open, and then I have my Twitter tab open, and then I have my live scores going on open, and then I always have a livestream.com slash ATP and WTA going just in case there's anything interesting I need to be monitoring. And, you know, you're just checking in case there's any controversies and whatever. And this was one of the controversies I woke up to. And, you know, I, I saw the replay. A, yes, it was a double bounce, clearly. And, you know, it's on the chair umpire to make that call. It 
just is. There's no Hawkeye for double bounce. That Hawk is the chair umpire. And you just, you got to get that call correctly. And look, we've all been in matches. As a tennis player, do you know when it's a double bounce? Yeah, 90% of the time you do. But in the heat of a competition, in the thrill of the moment, you're deferring to the chair umpire who's literally there to make that call. And if the chair umpire isn't making it, you know, would it have been outstanding for Siegmund to be like, no, 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 that was double bounce. I apologize. Of course, that's, we would have all loved to see it. But this is competition. This is cutthroat. There are hundreds of thousands of dollars. That is not hyperbole. Hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. And to Siegmund, if there's even a bit of doubt in her head of, I actually think I might have gotten that on one bounce, you don't say a word. And so I can't blame her. I really can't. No, I, I really don't agree with the people saying, oh, poor sportsmanship. How could you not say yeah. something? Because, it, it, look, no, just absolutely not. That's not her job. Her job is to try and win that point, um, and she did. And so, look, did the ball double bounce? Yeah, should Mladenovic, should that have been her set? 6-1? Yes. But it wasn't. And, yeah, the cherub makes a bad mistake there. Mladenovic, you can't just take that and unravel, though. That's really the, the point I want to take away from this is – so much of this is getting drawn to the double bounce. And yes, it was a double bounce. Yes, Mladenovic should have won that first set. Regardless, even if she loses that, she's still up 5-2 in that first set and has more than enough um, strength and momentum to get it done, at least in the first set. So it, look, for her to lose this in straights after being up 5-1 with that set point is just really disappointing, regardless of the rest of the context. Completely agree. And look, let's set the scene. It's conference finals for you. You're taking on Kenyon. They're yelling, that's a break on four. That's a break on five. We just killed Blake Burstein on six. You know, all the usual things they <laughs> yell at you, Jamie, uh, during uh, one of these matches. And again, I can't speak to Siegemann's mind frame, so I'm going to put you in it. If you're 100% certain it was a double bounce, maybe then you say something. But if there's even I a sliver don't. of doubt. Well, yeah, that it's like... How are you, ex- and maybe that's an indictment on your character, and maybe it is. I'd like to think if I was 100% certain that in the moment I'd be like, you know what, yeah, it was a double bounce. But again, if I'm not 100% certain, there's no way I'm being like, yeah, you know what, just take that one. Because the chair umpire's literally there for that job. Yeah, listen, if I'm down set point and the ump rules for something against my opponent, it's not my job to step in and fight the ump on behalf of my opponent. That's just yeah. not my job. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is ridiculous. This is a competition, right? Um, and so, especially in this monumental, you know, place in the match, just just no. I, I just say no. Simple simple as that. So, and again, this does not excuse anything from Lindenovich. She can be yeah, as mad as she wants still about this. Up. Yeah, and yeah, she got screwed on this call. Let's 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 call it what it is. She got screwed on this call, and that sucks. She's still up five two in a first set, um, and so you just you just can't do this and blame everything on that. It's it's just ridiculous to do so. No, I completely agree with you. I would quickly say for the rest of the women's results, a Sabalenka looked good against Shostakovich, yeah. like really, really good. Like, oh my god, did we not talk about her enough in the build up to this as someone who could make a deep run? She's a top eight seed, sort of good. I also thought uh, Sloane Stevens two and two, and you know Dietchenko is probably an ideal opponent, but. Two and two from Sloane Stevens, I noticed. I still have questions about her. That at least answers one of them. Uh, in terms of the unseated performers, Fiona Farrow, talked about her enough. I think she can do some serious damage. And then Yelena Ostapenko. No one has ever said, you know, if Yelena Ostapenko plays well, she can't beat anyone on tour because she can. And I think her versus Pliskova round two, that's blockbuster stuff. So I know we are all looking forward to that match on Thursday. Uh, of course, there are a bunch of other fun men's matches on the day as well. Someone near and dear to our hearts here at Cracked Rackets, Marcos Giron, former college tennis standout NCAA singles champion, a guy who's dealt with so many different injuries over the course of his pro career. He found himself now. He finds himself now firmly inside the top 100 at number 89 in the live rankings, following his 7-5-3-6-6-7-7-5-8-6 in the fifth set victory over Quinton Halis, the wild card out of France. Hard to feel anything but good for Garone, Jamie. Yeah, this is a great one. Um, this is a guy who will go out there and grind till the very end. And so this is a very fitting result from him. Um, you know, especially he finds himself in that two to one set uh, down deficit, right? He, he's in a bit of a hole. Great stuff from him. Great fight to win those seven, five and eight, six and get across the finish line. So yeah, again, really happy for Marcus Grun. 
Yeah, and look, I am a tennis channel. Obviously, for us here in the states, has the rights to the French Open, and we're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And being able to watch all of these matches on TC Plus is what makes this Grand Slam experience so exceptional. So, if you don't have TC Plus, go get it now. Believe me, if you're a tennis fan, it's worth the investment. With that in mind, respectfully, Tennis Channel Department PR people, whomever you are, our friends, we know some of you. Whomever was on the call for Marcos, or just, it's not even whomever was on the call. For all of these people on the call this week, if you could just kindly let them know that both the ATP and the WTA uh, have pronunciations for all of these last names now on the website. You can click the little sound thing. It's them saying how they want their name pronounced. You would have learned that it's not Marcos Giron, it's Marcos Giron. Um, and I had to turn the match on mute because I just couldn't take Giron anymore. So come on, that it's an easy one, right? That's the unforced errors they can clean up. Yeah, fair enough. And again, maybe this is biased and in a bad way, but especially he's an American player, right, on the tennis channel. Come on now. We got this. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're, again, we're just better than that. I agree with you. Clean up the unforced stairs. But the coverage has been exceptional. And of course, it allows us to see so many great matches like we got today. In terms of the seeds who advanced, Djokovic, Berrettini, Shapovalov, RBA, Dimitrov, Christian Guerin, and the Deuce all doing so in fairly convincing fashion. Jamie, any of those seed performances still stand out from uh to you today the one for me is Berrettini um mm-hmm. I expected him to win this match but the way he did it I didn't expect it to be this clean for him um Basik Pospisil obviously has a huge game we saw what he could do with that deep run um in New York so really dangerous player Berrettini though handled it all and then some so he looks to be in phenomenal form and, and I think sealed himself um in that list of contender under of course Djokovic and Nadal yeah, no, I, and Dominic team. Don't be disrespectful to the Dami, of course. But yeah, I, I completely... Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think he's got one. He again, he's one of those players who has the sort of power that transcends the slowness or speed of any surface. He's going to play on his terms, and I mean, he just took it to Pospisil. And I did say, you know, I, th- I think this was on a phone call with you yesterday, where I was like, "Oh, I'm weighing taking the Berrettini under three and a half sets against Pospisil," but then I was like, "Oh, if two of these sets go to tiebreakers, do you really want to bet Berrettini's going to win both of them?" you know, ultimately I stayed away from it. But yeah, this is one of those, hey, you do something convincing here, you're now, you know, elevated a level. And that's exactly what happened for Berrettini. Thought it was great for Shapo. Simone uh, really did, you know, I should say credit to you, Jamie. You put up a fight against Shapovalov today. You played really well in sets two and three, and it was clear. Should have had that second set. It's a bummer. Yeah, and it was was right there. There, You know, there was a line call at the end that went against you, and they showed Hawkeye. And it was out. Well, so, so here's my problem, though. It's male practice. Again, I think this is an unforced error. Don't show Hawkeye on on Tennis Channel because the reason – when you show Hawkeye, it gives this false sense of promise that Hawkeye works on clay, and, like, it just doesn't. So when you show a hypothetical ball mark to fans, that it gives them the premise that, hey, Hawkeye works, and this would have been the real call, but they don't have Hawkeye on the courts yet. No, the reason they don't have Hawkeye on the courts yet is because Hawkeye doesn't work. And so while that was an approximation of the call, that wasn't the exact spot where the ball land, and there's a chance that call was correct. Wait a second. What's the percent error on clay with Hawkeye, though? So it's significant enough, and we've talked about this. I get to use one of my favorite words. Because of the undulations in the clay that form uh, throughout the course of the match, right? Because the surface level of the clay changes depending on how these players are sliding, depending on where ball marks land, et cetera, et cetera. The sensors, they aren't constant, and they have to be kept constant. The surface level has to remain the same for them to be accurate, and these sensors aren't able to adjust to the undulations in the court. And so in order for Hawkeye to be accurate, they would have to adjust the sensors after every point, and obviously no one wants that right now. And so that's why they don't have Hawkeye on the clay. And again, that comes from Kamakshi Tandon, who I believe wrote the piece for Tennis.com, and a bunch of people have written pieces. That's just the one I've read uh, read most recently. And, you know, the way doctors uh, study the latest pharmaceuticals, the latest, you know, developments in surgery. I study the latest developments in Hawkeye technology, and I'm telling you listeners, it's just not ready yet. What about, uh, what are your thoughts? I know this, we are just really getting off the rails here, but hey, we're already <laughs> off them, so might as well yeah. keep going. Might as well keep going the wrong way. So uh, what are your thoughts on real bounce technology from Fox 10? Because we've seen that in some tournaments now, and sometimes they'll use that. I've seen it side by side, you know, with mm-hmm. the computer generated image and then also the real bounce technology where it shows the actual bounce in slow motion really close up. Do you think that's ready at least? 
No, I don't think any of it's ready because I think and like this is again where I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the ATP and the WTA and maybe I shouldn't and the benefit of the doubt to these tournaments because yeah, you know, to some degree they would have to invest in that technology. They would have to put the money up to actually have it at their events, but don't you think these events want their their results to be the most accurate they can be? Don't you think if the technology existed and was accurate enough to be in use that it would be in use and like that's why I just don't think it's ready. Like, I think for all of these, because of the way they just don't have the sensors ready that they can adjust to the uh, the deviations in the surface on clay throughout the course of a match. But you're right. I do think that technology is a little bit better. Just figured I'd ask. Just yeah, curious. Yeah. Good question. We'll see. Again, we'll, uh, we're off we'll the rails. see what happens. Yeah, we are off the rails. So <laughs> might as well try and get back. But yeah, it, nonetheless, very interesting to see. And there's always the controversy on the clay where a player is pleading, looking at the same mark as the ump, and there's just a complete disagreement um, there. And it's like, no, did the ball hit there? Or no, that was simply the dirt that was moved after impact, right? There's just always going to be that until that tr- that technology is developed fully and trusted and, and placed in the tournament. So unfortunate to see. And yes, as you as you show or um, excuse me, as you ex- explained, yeah, really unfortunate when they show it and they're like, oh, the ball was clearly out, right? Um, now, personally, for me, given that image, even if there is a bit of error, there was there was enough room in between the ball and the line that I do think it was out. But again, I wasn't on the court. So it is what it is. Yeah, that's where it just gets tough. I agree. It's just like it's ethically it's tough because you're like, well, the technology shows this, but do I know the technology is accurate ethically? I don't know if that's an ethics issue. But anyways, uh, yeah, it, it, it's something that certainly will require more examination, more thought uh, as they move forward because I'm sure Hawkeye at these Grand Slams, at all of them, it's it's coming, folks. It's a matter of, again, it's when, not if. Uh, but in terms of the other results on the men's side, quickly, Cuevas, uh, Lloyd Harris, Mark Pullmans, Roberto carbeas Benya. Barankis, Kevin Anderson, Davidovich, Fokina, Balaz, and Martin, all winners on the day. Any of those performances stand out to you? I, I think just a really strong one um, from Kevin Anderson to me. This mm-hmm. this is one where I wasn't exactly sure what to expect, but seeing a 2-3-4 and four win um, over a really solid opponent it is great to see for me and gives me some confidence in him. And obviously, again, a surface like this, not perfect for him, but similar to the conversation with Sam Curry, right? He hits such a big ball and can do so much with the serve right off the bat that a lot of times the surface can't even hold him back, right? Um, and so really good win for me here. That would be the one that stuck out to me, I'd say. Yeah, no, I mean, just quickly, Davidovich Fokina, we you know we know what he's capable on clay. We did not expect the run at the U.S. Open for him to follow it up with a straight set win over the young Frenchman Mayotte. That was impressive. Uh, you know, for Lloyd Harris, another guy who had success at the Challenger last week, lost to Musetti in the semifinals. Good win for him over Popperin. He continues to solidify himself as a top 100 player. Two concerning ones. Ugo Umbert, you know, we talk about the struggle from uh, transition from one surface to another. He goes from the clay in Hamburg to the clay at the French Open. He loses to lucky loser Mark Pullmans, who just had more repetitions on the surface. And then, you know, uh, for number two, uh, obviously the, uh, you know, for Stevie Johnson, I mentioned this earlier, six one six one six love. Two games in a Grand Slam match were better than that. And so that yeah. one was a little bit concerning, but credit to Carbe Espana. Yeah, look, I, I did expect Carbeas Bania to win this match just because, especially given the conditions and on clay, the guy can make so many balls and make your life miserable. In no world did I expect him to win this match so convincingly. So very unfortunate for Steve Johnson, a guy who we have seen um, have a lot of success on clay. Really unfortunate result in this one. Yeah, no, so that was tough for him. But anyways, it was a really fun day of matches, obviously, overall, when you're treated to so many different five-setters, seeing these top seeds tested. It's exactly what you want uh, from the first weeks of a Grand Slam. And, of course, on day four tomorrow, we move into our kickoff of second-round action, 16 men's matches, 16 women's matches, of course, men's and women's doubles matches on the ground as well. Let's start with the women's singles, Jamie. Which are the matches you are most looking forward to on day four? Yeah, there's a couple for me. I think number one, um, and I, I don't, I, I can't exactly articulate why, but Sarah Arani taking on Burton's is really interesting to me. Um, look, I respect, I respect the Sarah Arani game so much. Just absolute grind and go out there and make balls. We saw her have an incredibly convincing first round win. Um, and Burton's, you know, I know you and I both had some questions about her. She answered him in the first round. Going to see if she can answer some more difficult questions uh, under the gun of Sarah Arani, who's going to make her make 
five, six, seven, eight more balls than anyone else. So that one's going to be a lot of fun. And then the other one for me is Peronkova and Serena Williams. Um, really looking to see where Serena is at and if Serena can do all the damage and hit through the course and hit through Peronkova um, as she's going to need to if she's going to make a deep run in this tournament. Yeah, I, I, you know, anytime you get a rematch of a Grand Slam quarterfinal, you're locked in on that one. I'm not going to lie, I was distracted. Our super, or I should say, Dalton Thieneman, our CEO, I guess, of Cracked Rackets. No, nomenclature unclear on his title, but uh, just texted me <laughs> some. Yeah, founder. There we go. Thank you. But he just texted me some hat criticism, of, so it threw me off my game. He's apparently not thrilled with the way I wore my hat. And again, I'm sure we'll talk about that off mic. So that distracted me. I will just quickly say for the matches I am enjoying. Garcia Sasnovich, that's really fun. That's two players absolutely capable of making the second week, both unseated. Irani Burton. So let's see what Kiki Burton's has in the tank. Anisimova Para, All-American Battle. And then Pavlochenkova Sinyakova. Again, two unseeded players I think are really capable of making runs into the second week. Those would be the women's matches for me, Jamie. On the men's side, which ones are you going to be watching? I think it's one that we circled um, from days out now. Stan Wawrinka going up against Kopfer um, I think is going to be a really interesting matchup. You, I know you had the upset pick there. I'm not sure what your thoughts on it right now are. I'm really interested to see if Favrinka can back up that straight set win over Andy Murray. Um, God, there's a lot of them tomorrow that I would that I would want to talk about. But man, Casper Rude and Tommy Paul is one that's really interesting. Rude has been looking phenomenal, especially on the clay. But Tommy Paul, um, you know, no stranger to success on clay courts either. So I, I think that one's going to be a really interesting battle. I expect that one to go the distance, maybe four or five sets hopefully we see an american win in that one with tommy paul but those are the two that i'd circle for sure yeah, I, a ton of fun matches on the day. I mean, you know, Zverev, Herbert, Nadal, McDonald, those might not go the way of the unseated players, but certainly two players that can make things interesting. I think for a lot of I Americans... Think, oh, sorry, go ahead. I think you have too much... No, I was just going to say, I think you're not worried enough about Zverev against Herbert. No, I'm, Herbert, I'm worried. I'm the worried. The Frenchman, the Frenchman, the guy can do some things. He can come up with free points doing things. If Zverev falls into the unfortunate all-defense mode, Herbert can attack. He can come to the net really well. There, there's a lot to be afraid of. Now, if Zverev is playing really well, he can hit, hit, he can hit through him, and it won't matter. But man, Herbert is dangerous. And if Zverev is playing his nervy game and falling into the all-defense trap, ooh, that's a dangerous one. That's a really dangerous one. I will say this. The fact that your defense of Herbert revolved around you saying he can do some things, uh, that does. that's why I'm trying to, you know, downplay it a little bit, stay confident. No, I'm saying he can do some things offensively if Zverev <laughs> no, falls know. into that trap, right? I mean, he's an all-court player. No, if this gets into a lengthy – look, if this is just talking about baseline strokes, Zverev has the edge and it's not – close at all but if yeah. Zverev gives any room for Herbert to attack Herbert can be really creative in the way he approach, approaches the net obviously we know with his doubles prowess he has phenomenal hands and he can make life really difficult for Zverev yeah no, again I, I don't disagree with you and we talk about it again for the Americans tomorrow Tommy Paul versus Casper Ruud Jack Sock versus Dominic Team, Sebastian Corda versus John Isner Mackie McDonald versus Rafa Nadal and then upset alert for Taylor Fritz as he takes on Radu Elbot I think those are all going to be really good matches fun ones and of course all of that play starts at about 5 a.m. on the east coast so if you are here in the U.S. rest assured there will be fun American action throughout the day and of course so much action as well we hope you know you guys turn to us for all of your daily recaps as we are going day in day out here at the mini break we appreciate all of you who are listening along of course we'd love to hear your feedback as well so please if you have any comments feel free to throw them wherever you listen to the podcast or at us on social media as well twitter instagram facebook we're at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod uh shout out as always of course to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out it's not just this podcast of course we make our picks each and every day on our gsp ace of the day show brought to you by DraftKings. quickly jamie i want to run my picks for tomorrow by you since i didn't get the chance to do that before i made them since they're already out there they're locks but my aces of the day overall tell me what you think we'll go one by one pedro martinez portero over kakushkin minus 175 i took pedro martinez you like that or no i don't love it um, but that's fine. <laughs> Best of luck to you. 
Yeah, Kukushkin, I, my thing is Kukushkin, Look, I, I know he got the benefit of sort of a weekend and not top tier Fabio Fonini in that first one, but Kukushkin really dangerous, and especially in these conditions, he's sort of the guy that you want in a scrappy, broken match sort of setting. Yeah. So I, no, that's dicey. It's fair. The reason I'm taking Martinez Portero is because I, in our prediction podcast, said he was going to knock out Isner in the third round, and he was going to be the surprising fourth rounder, and now the draw's actually broken in the way where that really could happen, and so I'm just putting my money where my mouth is, uh, because he's obviously a guy who's had a ton of success on clay, but anyways, I also took over three and a half sets in Kopfer Wawrinka. I think Kopfer's playing too well to lose the match in straights. I think Stan Wawrinka too good, too respected to lose any match in straights. I like that. I like that pick. I, I would say, I if I had to predict right now, I would say Stan and four. Um, so I, I don't mind the over three and a half there. Yeah, because I wasn't. I didn't want to go one way or the other because I'm, I didn't want to pick against Stan, even though I do like the underdog odds on Kopfer. But I just think Kopfer's playing really well right now, and that had to be acknowledged. Yeah, fair. Yeah, and then the other one's a funky parlay, which you can hear all about on the podcast, so we'll leave that there. But, of course, we appreciate, again, all of you listeners hearing us recap the action. It was an exciting day three at the French Open, and, of course, the reason we are able to do this day in, day out, because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, uh, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, over $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis balls. Of course, you go to aerobar.com. You'll get the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And best of all, comes with a podcast. Our Getting to the Point episodes. We've had so many great guests. Michael Russell, Jay Berger, Malavia Washington. You can go on and on and on, and you can find all of those podcasts wherever you listen to your Crack Rackets podcast. But with that in mind, Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Uh, let's go watch that presidential debate, huh? Uh, we'll leave that there for sure. Well, then with that <laughs> in mind, for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.